Section 62 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Matthew by J. C. Ryle Chapter 20, verses 17 to 23 Christ's Announcement of His Coming Death Mixture of Ignorance and Faith in True Disciples This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 23 and Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshipping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. The first thing we should notice in these verses is the clear announcement which the Lord Jesus Christ makes of his own approaching death. For the third time we find him telling his disciples the astounding truth that he, their wonder-working master, must soon suffer and die. The Lord Jesus knew from the beginning all that was before him, the treachery of Judas Iscariot, the fierce persecution of the chief priests and scribes, the unjust judgment, the delivery of Pontius Pilate, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the cross, the hanging between two malefactors, the nails, the spear, all, all were spread before his mind like a picture. How great an aggravation of suffering foreknowledge is, those know well who have lived in the prospect of some fearful surgical operation. Yet none of these things moved our Lord. He says, I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 and 6. He saw Calvary in the distance all his life through, and yet walked calmly up to it, without turning to the right hand or to the left. Surely there never was sorrow like unto his sorrow, or love like his love. The Lord Jesus was a voluntary sufferer. When he died on the cross, it was not because he had not power to prevent it. He suffered intentionally, deliberately, and of his own free will. John chapter 10, verse 18. He knew that without shedding of his blood, there could be no remission of man's sin. He knew that he was the Lamb of God, who must die to take away the sin of the world. He knew that his death was the appointed sacrifice, 
which must be offered up to make reconciliation for iniquity. Knowing all this, he went willingly to the cross. His heart was set on finishing the mighty work he came into the world to do. He was well aware that all hinged on his own death, and that, without that death, his miracles and preaching would have done comparatively nothing for the world. No wonder that he thrice pressed on the attention of his disciples that he must needs die. Blessed and happy are they who know the real meaning and importance of the sufferings of Christ. The next thing that we should notice in these verses is the mixture of ignorance and faith that may be found even in true-hearted Christians. We see the mother of James and John coming to our Lord with her two sons, and preferring on their behalf a strange petition. She asks that they may sit, one on his right hand and the other on his left in his kingdom. She seems to have forgotten all he had just been saying about his suffering. Her eager mind can think of nothing but his glory. His plain warnings about the crucifixion appear to have been thrown away on her sons. Their thoughts were full of nothing but his throne and the day of his power. There was much of faith in their request, but there was much more of infirmity. There was something to be commended, in that they could see in Jesus of Nazareth a coming king, but there was also much to blame, in that they could not remember that he was to be crucified before he could reign. Truly the flesh lusteth against the spirit in all God's children, and Luther well remarks, the flesh ever seeks to be glorified before it is crucified. There are many Christians who are very like this woman and her sons. They see in part, and know in part, the things of God. They have faith enough to follow Christ. They have knowledge enough to hate sin and come out from the world. And yet there are many truths of Christianity, of which they are deplorably ignorant. They talk ignorantly, they act ignorantly, and commit many sad mistakes. Their acquaintance with the Bible is very scanty. Their insight into their own hearts is very small. But we must learn from these verses to deal gently with such people, because the Lord has received them. We must not set them down as graceless and godless because of their ignorance. We must remember that true faith may lie at the bottom of their hearts, though there is much rubbish at the top. We must reflect that the sons of Zebedee, whose knowledge was at one time so imperfect, became at a later period pillars of the Church of Christ. Just so a believer may begin his course in much darkness, and yet prove finally a man mighty in the Scriptures, and a worthy follower of James and John. The last thing we should notice in these verses is the solemn reproof which our Lord gives to the ignorant request of the mother of Zebedee's children and her two sons. He says to them, You know not what you ask. They had asked to share in their master's reward, but they had not considered that they must first be partakers in their master's sufferings. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 13 They had forgotten that those who would stand with Christ in glory must drink of his cup and be baptized with his baptism. They did not see that those who carry the cross, and those alone, shall receive the crown. Well might our Lord say, Ye know not what ye ask. But do we never commit the same mistake that the sons of Zebedee committed? Do we never fall into their error and make thoughtless, inconsiderate requests? 
do we not often say things in prayer without counting the cost and ask for things to be granted to us without reflecting on how much our supplications involve these are heart-searching questions it may well be feared that many of us cannot give them a satisfactory answer we ask that our souls may be saved and go to heaven when we die it is a good request indeed but are we prepared to take up the cross and follow christ are we willing to give up the world for his sake are we ready to put off the old man and put on the new to fight to labor and to run so as to obtain are we ready to withstand a taunting world and endure hardships for christ's sake what shall we say if we are not so ready our lord might say to us also ye know not what ye ask we ask that god would make us holy and good it is a good request indeed but are we prepared to be sanctified by any process that god in his wisdom may call on us to pass through are we ready to be purified by affliction weaned from the world by bereavements drawn nearer to god by losses sicknesses and sorrow alas these are hard questions but if we are not our lord might well say to us ye know not what ye ask let us leave these verses with a solemn resolution to consider well what we are about when we draw nigh to god in prayer let us beware of thoughtless inconsiderate and rash petitions well might solomon say be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before god ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 2 end of section 62